0: Amen. You can have a seat. Last Sunday, we began a journey together that I'm calling 50 Days with Jesus, and we're walking through the Gospel of John. I've created a sort of a little reading guide, and there are those uh, sort of on the t- tables in the foyer, and you can follow along and get through the whole Gospel of John during these 50 days that leads up to Easter. So I hope you're doing that and I hope you're growing as you read through that gospel because that's really what this is all about, spending time with someone to get to know them better. And we're spending time hearing the stories, the teachings of Jesus as John recorded. Now, one of the things I didn't talk about last Sunday is who is this guy, John, that writes, because it can be a little confusing, especially maybe this week as you read these early chapters as John talks about a different John. So we have John who wrote the Gospel, who was one of Jesus' disciples. Now, remember in our oldest manuscripts of the New Testament, there's no title, no author listed, but tradition tells us that John the Apostle, man who very very close to Jesus, heard everything that Jesus taught, saw the miracles he 's the one writing, and then John the Baptist is jesus cousin who is killed in in the process of jesus ministry so there 's no way he wrote this gospel, so two different Johns, but really believe that John the the apostle wrote this gospel very likely after the other gospels so Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell the story of Jesus sort of from the same perspective. And John writes from a very different perspective. I think probably filling in some of the gaps that he knew were there from the first three Gospels because of things that he saw and heard. So, as an eyewitness, he's telling us, okay, these are some other things that happened in Jesus' ministry while still giving us the same framework of the story that we have. Now, John gives us... Some of the most important teaching that we find in the New Testament, some of the passages that are probably among the favorite passages in the New Testament, and we'll get to one of those in just a minute. But before we do that, I want to ask a question. Here it is. How do we show love to the people who are most important in our lives? Now, those people are all different, right? So they receive love, they hear love in different ways, and we probably communicate love to them in different ways because the relationships are different. But it falls into a few categories. I mean, some people, what they really need to hear from us to know that we love them is our words, right? They want to be told I love you. And they want to be told why we appreciate them, care for them, are glad they're in our lives. And we might think, hey, I told them they should know that, but they need to hear it. So it's important that we repeat it to them. Then there are other people who it's really important that that they receive gifts. And maybe it doesn't have to be extravagant, super expensive, but it's meaningful. We do something, we buy something, we give them something that communicates clearly just how much they matter to us. Then there's other people who, if we just spend some time with them, we all know that time is a limited quantity for all of us. We don't have that much. And when we take time for other people, especially if we're doing something they enjoy or want to do, we are saying, you matter. You have value in my life. And I want to give you this important resource, which is my time. And then there are other people who they appreciate physical touch, a hug, a kiss, whatever it is, depending on the relationship that says to them, you reached out, you love me. So we have very different ways of communicating love to the people around us, depending on the person and depending on the relationship. Here's another question. How do we know that God loves us? How does God communicate his love for us. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I went to Sunday school. Maybe some of you did, or you went to a kid's worship program. And usually when the teacher or small group leader ask a question, if there was sort of a little quiet moment where everybody's trying to figure out what to say, somebody's going to raise their hand and say Jesus, right? Because we're in church. Surely that's the right answer. And it's really hard for a Sunday school teacher to say Jesus is the wrong answer. So they usually worked out. Okay. So Today, if I'm asking the question, how does God show his love to us, and you're thinking I'm going to raise my hand and say, Jesus, you're right, okay? That's a good answer. It may not be the only answer, but that is the answer to the question, how does God show his love for us? So this is going to either be a really short sermon, or there's more to it than just that, right? Well, there's more to it than just that. So there's a question that follows. If Jesus really is the way that God shows his love for us, well, how does Jesus show God's love to us? I mean, in what way does does Jesus show God's love to me and to you? That's a question that John the Apostle, John the writer of this gospel, deals with in maybe the best-known passage, certainly one of the best-known passages in all the Bible. And it comes in chapter 3. It comes in the context of a story. Okay? So we've got this man named Nicodemus. And he's a religious leader among the Jews in that day. And he's heard about Jesus. Heard Jesus is doing some pretty crazy stuff. These miracles, signs, preaching. And all this stuff. He's convinced that Jesus is something special. So John tells us that he went to see Jesus at night. In the dark. Now, I believe that Nicodemus went to Jesus at that time because he didn't want to be seen with Jesus. It would have hurt his reputation if his fellow religious leaders had seen him with Jesus. So he goes under the cover of darkness and he says, Jesus, man, the stuff you're doing is amazing. And I'm convinced that you are someone special. He didn't really ask a question, but Jesus answers the question that seems to be hanging in the air nicodemus if you want to follow me you've got to be born again or some of the translations say born from above both those are good translations of jesus statement so nicodemus you think i'm somebody special if you want to follow me you need to be born again and nicodemus says what are you talking about, Jesus? Because that doesn't make any sense to me, right? How can I be born again? What does that even mean? Now, Jesus goes on to answer that question, and hopefully you've read that and you can sort through some of that because we don't have time to deal with all that. But in the midst of Jesus' answer, he's talking about faith, okay? And he's talking about how, how faith is our response to who Jesus is. And somewhere in there the language sort of changes, and it becomes clear that John has been recording Jesus' answer, all right? And somewhere in the middle of the beginning of John there, John switches for, John chapter 3, John switches from telling us Jesus' words to commenting on what this faith is all about. Now, oldest manuscripts of the Bible don't have punctuation, And certainly John doesn't have a red pen to write down the words of Jesus and a black pen to do everything else like in our Bibles, okay? So it's hard for our translators to know where to put the quotation marks, where to put the red letters if your Bible has red letters for the words of Jesus. And so we see it in various ways. But a lot of them, the break, is between verse 15 and 16. So before that, we've got Jesus talking, telling Nicodemus, this is how you're born again or born from above. And in verse 16, we have John sort of commenting, letting us know, okay, I want to tell you a little bit about what all this means. So John 3, 16, probably sounds familiar to you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. If you were one who had to memorize scripture early on in life, this might have been one of the first ones that you memorized. And it really is a favorite passage for a lot of Christians for good reason, right? Because in such a short, concise, clear way, John lays out this is what God's love is all about. I mean, this is it. And it's a little hard to know if John is saying, for God so loves, God loves the world so much that he did this, or he's saying, the way God showed his love for the world is sending his son. Either way, the point is, God loves us. I mean, John couldn't be any clearer. He says, for God so loved the world. And what he means by world there, he's making a point. Because if Nicodemus had written those words, Nicodemus at this point in his life as a religious leader among the Jews would probably have said, For God so loved the people of Israel that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. But that's not what John wrote. And in fact, there have been Christians throughout history who have to put in some special group, usually a group of which they are a member, right? Because we want this to be about us, not somebody else. So we'd say people like me from here who speak like me, who look like me, who believe like me, for God so loved that group so much that he sent his one and only son. But here's the thing. The word there is the broadest possible meaning. I mean, is the Greek word cosmos where we get our word cosmos from. We're talking about, everybody. For God so loved every human being. Okay, people who speak every language, whose skin is every color, the very best person who's ever lived, the very worst person who ever lived. God so loved every single human who has ever lived or ever will live so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus. This is how we know God loves us. He sent Jesus. And he sent Jesus for a reason, to offer us eternal life. Now, if you're reading along in the Gospel of John, one of the things you'll notice is that there are some things that appear more than once, in fact, lots of times. You'll see light and darkness contrasted a lot all the way through the Gospel of John. And we'll get to light here in just a minute. And you'll see the concept of life in a contrast with death brought up lots and lots of times. And in fact, the first time eternal life is mentioned is in John 3.15. And then the second time is the very next verse that we just read, John 3.16. So John is introducing this concept of eternal life, a thread that's going to run the rest of the way through the gospel. And for John, eternal life begins now. When you decide, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, you are, you are looking forward to eternal life. It begins now, stretches through this life and into eternity. You say, well, I'm going to die. Yep, I'm going to die too. But John's point is, it's not over then. That's not the end. We have more to look for. The story's not over at death. This is eternal life. We are now living in Jesus. Now, verse 17. If that's Jesus' mission, let's explain it a little more. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now, a lot of people in our culture are pretty sure God's all about condemnation. God gets this rap for like he's up in heaven and he's looking down on earth and he is just hoping somebody will do something wrong today so he can put a big X beside their name, right? He just can't wait to catch somebody doing something bad. But it's clear here from what John says and clear from everything Jesus says in this gospel that that's not what God is about. And in fact, he sent Jesus into the world not to bring condemnation, not to say to everybody, hey, you're a terrible, awful person, and guess what? I'm going to deliver punishment. Here I am. Aren't you glad I'm here? That's not what this is about. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. This is about salvation. Now, if we think about that, we might say, okay, if Jesus is about salvation, How can John talk about condemnation sometimes as well? Well, it works this way, and John's going to use this image in just a minute. Let's say we're all in a a dark room. There's no no light at all, and somebody in that room has a flashlight, and they turn that flashlight on. Okay, what's going to happen? Immediately, we're going to see stuff in that room that we may not have known was there. We're, We're going to see things in that room. It's going to illuminate the room, but there's one more thing that light is going to do. It's going to create shadows. There's going to be some dark places in that room because the light is being shown. Now, we didn't turn the light on to create shadows. It's not like we turned the light on saying, hey, it'll be great to be able to see all the shadows in the room. We turn the light on so that we can see the room, so we can see what's around us. But the light is going to inherently create some shadows. And in the same way, Jesus, who is the light, we're told, allows us to see the world and to see into ourselves. But there's also going to be some shadows revealed because the light is now present. And I think that's the contrast that John is trying to say is, is, yeah, there's some condemnation that comes from Jesus being present because he is light, because he is good, because he is everything that is right. But his point is not to to come to the world to say how good I am and how terrible everyone else is. He's come to invite us into a relationship with God that lasts from now through eternity. He's He's come to bring us life, eternal life. And that's in some ways going to create some things that are unpleasant for us because it's going to reveal what we don't like. He talks about that down in verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. So we get that, Right? Because every one of us can look in our lives and say, man, there's some stuff there that I just assume no one else find out. And if there are people who know about it, I hope they keep their mouths shut because I don't want people to know some of the things that are in my life, right? We can all look back and maybe it was last week or maybe it was last year or maybe it was 20 years ago, but there's some stuff there that we are not pleased with. And we have this sense that if I just sort of stay in the shadows no one will ever know and that'll be better and then we got jesus coming in and he's totally right totally good totally pure totally sinless and it makes me look that much worse but what john is saying is listen whatever it is you think you're trying to hide from god that's not going to work or whatever it is you think you're trying to hide from other people God already knows about it. And here's the good news. God can deal with it. God can forgive it. God can invite us into a relationship in spite of it. Why? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Except the people who've done this sin. No, it doesn't say that. It's everybody. See, if we are willing to put our faith, our trust in Jesus, then God can deal with whatever it is about ourselves that makes us so uncomfortable. Last verse we're going to read, verse 21. But whoever lives by the truth will, comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So God already gets it all. And when we do what's right, we're, we're fine with God knowing God is inviting us into something new so that he can help us overcome the things that we don't like. The things that we know are wrong. You know, one of the words that shows up in this passage, sort of back and forth, is believe and faith. If you read that whole section of of chapter 3, you'll find that. And really, they're the same word. One's the, the verb form, believe. One's the noun form, faith. But they're all about believing who Jesus is, and John tells us that in chapter 20, right? I want you to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. We talked about that last week. That's the whole reason he's written. He wants us to believe that. But if we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, then that has implications. If that's who he is, then we're called to trust him for the salvation that John talks about here in chapter 3. And so here's what I want us to take away from this passage. And it really goes back to the question I asked early on. Jesus is God's way of showing us he loves us. In other words, the answer to the question is definitely Jesus. But it's Jesus because Jesus is willing to shine a light on our lives and through his death to offer us forgiveness that we couldn't find anywhere else. So God is ready to deal with the stuff that the light exposes, the things that we're so uncomfortable with, and through that to offer us a relationship with God that lasts into eternity. And John calls that salvation. And that's what God's come to do in Jesus to offer us salvation. And that leaves us with a choice, right? Now, it depends on where we are in this whole process because we're not all in the same place. That's okay. There are some people in the room who are exploring this for the first time. There are some people in the room who are exploring it again because they've walked away from it. I'm glad you're here. And, and what John is inviting us to do is to make a decision. Okay, are we going to respond to this Jesus who is the Messiah, the Son of God, who loves us enough to go to a cross and offer us a relationship with God and eternal life? And if we're willing to believe that He is that person and we're willing to trust Him for eternity, this is the time to respond. And we respond by faith. And we respond in repentance because we want to change the way we live. That stuff that the light has uncovered, we want to live in a different way. We want to confess him as Lord, which is expressing our faith, and then to be baptized into him. Now, that may be where you are, or it may be that you did that long time ago, maybe years or decades ago. But wherever you are in the journey, we can all look in our lives today and say, okay, you know what? A lot of my life is lived in the light. A lot of it is lived in a way that I can say, this is who I am, God, and and I'm thankful you're at work in my life. But then there's some stuff over here around the corner that I'm trying to hide from God and everybody else, and I'm sort of pretending myself that it's not there, because I don't really like to think about it. And it's dark, and it's ugly, and you know what? It's time that the light of Jesus exposed it for what it is, and I put it away. I end it. Because you see, repentance is not just about, okay, this is what I do when I decide to follow Jesus. Repentance is what Christians do throughout their lives because we're never perfect. And there are things in our lives that we have to say, okay, this is not consistent with following Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to allow God's light to to shine in on that. And I'm going to, with God's power, repent of it and change the way I'm living. So we've got this opportunity this responsibility to respond to this person jesus whom john is teaching us is the messiah the son of god and therefore worthy of our trust and has come into the world to offer us this incredible gift of eternal life so every one of us has to answer the question what am i going to do with that and all that reminds me that it's worth continuing in this journey continuing in this 50 days of learning who Jesus is and hearing who he is and allowing him to form and reform and remake us into the people that God wants us to be. Because he loves us so much. And he's shown us he loves us in Jesus. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful for Jesus. Thankful that in him we find salvation and forgiveness and a relationship with you and we look forward to spending eternity with you. And so God, we pray that wherever we are in this journey, you'll show us the next steps. Maybe it's following you. Maybe it's repenting of sin. Maybe it's doing something we've never done because we put our faith in Jesus. Whatever that is, God, we pray you'll show us that you'll make us your disciples. Pray it in Jesus' name, amen.